I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch loves the full metal woman who I respect. Hey, Pete. Hi. Do you notice how they, they they don't quite get away with saying the word bitch in this movie? Yeah, uh, well, it helps that Emily Bunt's character fucking rules. And there was a lot of good writing about, like, what a good, like, uh, feminist hero she plays in it. Uh, minus one. Tasha. Yeah, Tasha Robinson was what I was actually referencing her article about it. Yeah, we'll get to the, we'll get to the we'll romance get to it. angle. We'll get uh, to it. We're, we're jumping in too quick. It's almost like... We've already talked about this before, and the audience slowly realizes this isn't the first pass of it, uh, like happens in this movie. Uh, but before we get into that, Peter, I got to level with you. Mm-hmm. Before we even talk about the theme, before we even talk about the movie, mm-hmm. if I didn't just hear the fucking theme song from Saved by the Bell, the college years, in between our intro and what we're saying now... Friendship over. Hmm. Now, so why do you think you're going to hear that theme? Because the theme is, I'm standing at the edge of tomorrow. <laughs> oh, you think uh, you can maybe make it interesting for me? Uh, and it's all up to me. Do you want me to sing the whole thing? No, I was thinking more like a envelope of Polaroids, but yeah, that's fine. You send you an envelope of Polaroids of the song? <laughs> I don't think you know what I'm talking about, do you? I mean, I feel like you're black, like some level of blackmail. Yeah, I'm trying to get you to send nudes. Oh, of myself. You want yeah, those in Polo- You want those in Polaroid format? Oh, absolutely. For headed creep factor. Man, for such a millennial, I figured you were in the digital age. Like, step, Snapchat me that dick. <laughs> for something super violating, such as blackmailing nudes out of you, I want something creepy. I want I want the lighting to be vaguely yellow. I want it to look like you shot it in a basement no matter what room you shot it in. <laughs> Do you want like the flash and the low light to be like, is that a dick? <laughs> Like, it could be a dick. It could also just be a weird after effect from the development process. Is that a vein? Yeah. Is that a snowman's dick? You want hard or soft? <laughs> for for my uh, editing, I will put the Saved by the Bell song in there. Okay. If on an episode of my choice, you have to put in a special song for me. Sure. That's not a problem. It just sounds like we're, we've made an accord the way friends normally do. Yeah, that's better than this. I thought the other fun thing that we could do is we could both take Polaroid pictures of our dicks and then mix them up like in a game of like the cup ball cup thing that they do, whatever that's <laughs> called, and then see if we know which one our own dick is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, we probably could tell from like even if – for some bizarre reason, we're dick twins, yeah. which not it's rare to meet your dick twin, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But even if that, I feel like we'd be able to tell from context clues, like, oh, that is clearly your house in the background. I <laughs> so. had a I had a ski accident, um, Aaron, and uh, now my dick has a brace on it. So now it's going to be very obvious. Which yeah, but it's not a cast. You just take the brace off. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you're right, Peter. If it was a cast, I would not support you uh, on your own taking one of those surgeon saws <laughs> near your penis and cutting off the cast. Don't do it. Well, not they support do it. They cut the whole thing off and then they slide the wiener out of the cast and <laughs> put it back on. 
Yeah, it feels like with a wiener, you just pull it off. <laughs> right? Like, what, are, like, what would they have to cut? It's just a, it's just a cylinder. Mm-hmm. Like, with your hand, they usually, like, affix it to fingers and some other things that makes it hard just to rip it off. But, like, yeah. do you think they put it on your balls? Oh, yeah, 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 obviously. Is because otherwise, weird... where else? It needs a, a, ba- a sort of anchor. You sure? Is this a weird way to start this episode? I think this yeah, is all speaking solid. Of, speaking of cut. It's <laughs> all solid gold. Um, yeah, it's uh, where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of... Uh, over the course of a month around that theme. Yeah, it sounds right. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And this month, we're in our second week. Or are we? <laughs> of Groundhog Day month, where we're doing... Uh, well, first Groundhog Day. And then movies that take the structure or partial structure of Groundhog Day and spin them off into their own wild magical world. And this week we're doing the uh, still legally titled Edge of Tomorrow, the 2014 Doug Lehman, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt vehicle that takes the concept of living the same uh, time frame over and over because it's not just 24 hours. And... um, and turns it into a sci-fi action adventure with uh, some so – the essentially the formula in place of someone having to figure out how to get out of this time loop and to uh, – and living the same moments over and over with first subtle changes, then bigger and bigger changes till we're completely off the map. But it adds uh, a lot of nice twists to that formula. And I say confusingly titled because famously – Edge of Tomorrow is a terrible title for this movie. It's a, just a terrible that, title. I don't think it's a terrible title. I think it's a terrible title. It's um, 50% of this podcast co-hosts agree it's a terrible title. <laughs> um, it's, not like, it's not like one of those movies that's just like a generic one single word like firewall or divergent or like, where you like, okay. Or that could The be, Godfather. Like, it could yeah. be any movie, but yeah. like the movie is literally about the edge of tomorrow yeah but it's it's pretty generic and it's it was generic. based oh, it was based generic it was based on a manga uh called all you need is kill which is a better name i think we can all agree it's evocative uh, in like the way a punk song is right it sounds like it, it sounds like a punk song that doesn't quite make sense but you're like that fuck that sounds rad and it actually made that actually not only does it sound rad, it makes sense because this uh, this day is not reset at a certain time. It's reset when the character uh, either gets killed or kills himself. Uh, so, but apparently everyone kind of agreed that while this movie was successful, I think a lot of the – it was not as successful as people were hoping for for this huge sci-fi Tom Cruise movie, especially in 2014. Um and a lot of the blame was based on the marketing, which didn't clearly articulate that it was a Groundhog Day situation and the generic title. And I do think, like, as much as I like this movie and I like it quite a bit, uh, like, if this was just a straight up action movie, the alien design is kind of generic. The the future suit stuff is kind of generic. Like, it works so well because of the device and all the different ways that they take it. But, like... You're not watching this and going, this is some sci-fi visual, like, creative masterpiece. So, and then, of course, coupled with, like I said, the generic title, that even the studio did this insane thing 
that I really like, just based on a, a little bit of like, I don't know, let's try this. Where, so the tagline for this movie was Live, Die, Repeat. And they didn't change the title of the movie, because I assume that would go through a lot of stuff that I can't even imagine. But what they did is when they released it on uh, DVD and Blu-ray, they made the tagline take up 90% of the, the cover space, live, die, repeat. And then put in the bottom, it had said Cruise, Blunt, Edge of Tomorrow, in normally like – in. Originally in like normal font where Cruz and Blunt were small and then Edge of Tomorrow big. Then on the very bottom, they put all in the same font size, Cruz, uh, Blunt, Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> so they they like didn't retitle it, but they're like, let's just make the tagline take up 90% of the real estate. <laughs> so it looks like we've retitled the movie. And so much so that the sequel... But is is which they are currently making, which I'm super excited about. Um, everything I've heard about it is I understand there's just you know marketing and hype, but uh, Doug Lehman is saying that this idea is amazing and is going to blow out this this out of the water, and like he just is completely um, amazed at what they were able to come up with as like a viable sequel for this. I, it's going to be called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat Again. Yeah, and because uh, Doug Lyman always preferred, or not always, but he went on record at least once as saying he preferred Live, Die, Repeat yep. as a title. And it's obviously, I think, the most balanced title, I think. Like, it's it evokes what the movie is. Um, it, it hints at the concept. Uh, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not generic sounding. It's a tagline and a title which i always yeah. kind of love uh so um it's, it's great and i'm excited to see what they came up with um especially not even just because doug lyman's involved because doug lyman is someone who has a very mixed track record he's like a great technical stylist at times but he's also like um he'll pick really really terrible material and then i don't know shoot the shit out of it yeah um, it's that uh, the first movie was rewritten after many drafts by Christopher McQuarrie, yep. uh, who's like Tom Cruise and him have like a love affair, basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Two great results, by the way. Like, the oh, Mission yeah. Impossible movies are the fucking best of them. And Jack Reacher is so fucking good. Um, the first one. First one. The yeah. second one. Yeah. Uh, so, and Christopher McQuarrie uh, directed yeah. uh, all of those, and he wrote the script for uh, he wrote the rewrite of the script for Live uh, Live Die Repeat Edge of Tomorrow, um, and he basically took like he's talked a bit pretty openly about how uh, in interviews how um, it was a an adaptation that was a that was bought as like a. A script adaptation and then it went through multiple multiple rounds and Doug Lyman liked parts of each one and grabbed parts of each one and then eventually by the time Christopher McQuarrie got in there he was he which he was like hired as a Hollywood fixer yeah after Usual Suspects and then The Way of the Gun failed that's what that was his job basically I'm gonna come in and fix scripts yeah and he made a lot of he made a good living doing it but he had almost no notoriety in Hollywood he was basically or outside of you know uh Hollywood insiders he was someone who just like he'd come in he'd write some really good shit he'd break he'd break the story if you like couldn't figure it out and he'd throw away a bunch of trash he's also famously the one who um came in on the Mission Impossible series and said what do you mean you're trying to bring in Jeremy Renner? Jeremy Renner, yeah. I didn't replace Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is fucking Mission Impossible. 
um, and basically com- reset the series in a way that like I don't know anybody who does. I don't know if you know Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, or Fallout. Uh, which one's going to be everyone's favorite? Because they're all amazing. But like one of those it's is probably, probably one of those favorite. three. Yeah, yeah, it's probably <laughs> not one of the first three. Yeah, uh, yeah, because he he did he did the rewrites on Ghost Protes. Um, yes, and he was like, "Wait, what the he, fuck are you he, doing?" He was like, "Because it was supposed to yeah be way bigger on the Renner," and he's like, "This is dumb." People see these movies to see Tom Cruise do crazy action shit because this is his one franchise. This is before, I mean, so Mission Impossible, when it comes to Tom Cruise, is unique because he basically didn't do sequels except this one, which was like his, right? It was a Cruise-Wagner production. He was like, this is going to be my thing, and I'm going to keep hiring these directors that I love and I want to work with, and I'm going to make them do Mission Impossible movies. So you have like... You know, uh, Brian De Palma and John Woo do the first two. J.J. Abrams, like, hot off the success of Lost, doing the third one. Uh, And you have – why the fuck am I forgetting his name? Brad Bird Uh, did Brad Bird, yeah. Brad Bird do Ghost Pros. And then, yeah, but but Tom Cruise – I mean, I'm not surprised Tom Cruise was like, hey, this guy that says don't get rid of me. I'm into that. <laughs> Incredibly savvy because it yeah. basically earned him his career back. That that yeah. got him Jack Reacher, which is, is sort of his like Hollywood. Um, uh, it was like his Hollywood SAT or something. Like it was like him buying his way back in by saying, "Okay, I'm just gonna like overperform at this straight over the plate." moderate expectations in terms of budget, moderate expectations in terms of critical success. I'm just going to make weirdly make a cult movie out of this generic ass looking movie. Um, yeah. And then that got, and then that got, uh, and, and for, you know, producers and such who are impressed by that stuff um, that helped uh, give him enough cachet. Then when Tom Cruise says, I want Christopher McQuarrie to do this, um, he gets in the, he gets in the room. And so uh, Tom Cruise was attached to this movie long before, Christopher McQuarrie was Christopher McQuarrie was brought on as a fixer, uh, which is you know it's a good it's a good uh, entry point for him to yeah. uh, sneak his way into the franchise, and then eventually he was like, "All oh, this is bullshit," and pretty much reconstructed reconstructed the movie working with Doug Liman, who's kind of semi famous for being hard to work with and like doing day one reshoots and shit like on day two. Yeah, um, <laughs> so he uh, McQuarrie came in. And him, along with Tom Cruise and Doug Liman, kind of wrangled this thing together. And uh, it, it became a sort of critical darling, but also uh, a movie that audiences very much slept on. But it's becoming one of those movies where, like, you mention it to someone and they get, like, really excited about it. Like, oh, one, you saw that too? Yeah. yeah, and it did. It still did over $100 million in domestic. And it did $400-plus million worldwide. And it's, it's like... Getting a sequel, like it's one of those. It still probably didn't make. It still probably no. costs like three hundred million to make and market. Yeah, it's one of those movies that, like, only in the current version of Hollywood is it like, oh, it only made four hundred million. Boof. <laughs> all right, maybe we'll do a sequel if Tom Cruise really wants to. Uh, but yeah, all three of them are coming back for, uh, back for the the sequel as well. Um, which you figure be- you figure they would have dumped Lyman and just brought in McCory. So, uh, let's talk about Lyman a little before we get into the movie proper, because Lyman was one of those guys, and I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, where I was like, I was all in on Lyman. Uh, like, all in, because, again, I was born in 1983, so 
as I start, like, getting into movies, I'm, like, catching up on the last four or five years of, like, uh, indie darlings that were, like, these mini hits. Like, you know, typical 1999 video store 15-year-old employee, right? I'm like, holy shit, Pulp Fiction. Holy shit, you know, Reservoir Dogs. Like, you just learn – those are the stuff that is, like, boiling to the top because those are what all your friends at the video store are talking about. Um, and – so sometimes you have some weird stuff in there that like, holy shit, the Brothers McMullen that like goes away in your life. <laughs> um, but um, uh, but unsurprisingly, Swingers, which is a movie I've not seen since I was probably in college, but definitely watched, you know, probably like five or ten times and, and loved it uh, when I was in high school. I have no idea how it holds up. I imagine there's some things that are... Although I don't know, because I guess the whole point of that movie is that these guys were actually terrible, and John Favreau realizes that. But anyways, um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, obviously I loved Swingers, and then I love, I fucking loved Go, which is a movie that I did rewatch a few years ago that did not hold up for me. But it was one of those look, it's doing the Pulp Fiction thing where it's taking these stories out of order and it's connecting it. It was all this like. You know, these actors I really liked, like uh, Timothy Oliphant and Jay Moore and Sarah Pauly and like in these like roles and some people that I'd never seen before, but were really like, you know, to, to, to sound like a really old man for a second, like hip, edgy and cool in 1999. It was a, a movie I discovered myself at the video store that just looked cool and then became evangelical about. And then uh, the next movie does after that is The Born Identity, which I also loved. It's still my favorite of those movies because I felt like uh, as much as I kind of like uh, supremacy and um, supremacy and uh, ultimatum, um, I, like the, the hyper realism of Paul Greengrass, like isn't as fun for me as the overly stylized Born Identity. I think um, I think supremacy is the only Born Supremacy is the only supremacy I like. Yeah, you're not a fan of white. That you made that abundantly clear, and people ask you it all the time. So you usually lead with it because you, you know, you look very Aryan, look very German. You're like, just to be clear, the point supremacy is the only supremacy I I like. Uh, it's a tattoo idea I've been rumbling around for a while. It's a long one. I'd go for the entirety of your back, <laughs> maybe down to the legs with some punctuation marks. How about it goes almost all the way across, and then like has to go to the second line. It's not that I don't like Supremacy and Ultimatum. I do like those movies. But I just like that kind of um, late aughts, like let's do hyper realism stuff was just not a stylistic decision that I enjoyed. And that goes for like as much as people love Michael Mann's like Miami Vice. I'm not a huge fan of it. Like even Collateral, which is a movie I really love. I, I, I'm the kind of person that's like, yeah, they would have shot that with normal cameras. I would also be very okay with it. Like, it's just not a decision I loved. So, Born Identity was is still my favorite of those three. Um, I also think it's the most fun. So, yeah, I really liked uh, Lyman. Like, he was he wasn't like a. I never you I never thought man? he. I'm not lying. I liked Lyman. This is a dumb side note. You can, but for some reason today I just had a flash of. When um, when Drew Barrymore wants, wants people to know she's telling the truth, she goes, no, no, no. Right now, I'm being a true Barrymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think Doug Lyman could do like, no, no, no. Right now, I'm not being a Doug Lyman. Anyway. So dumb. Uh, and I liked Mr. and Mrs. So, like, I never thought of him as, like, an auteur or anything like that. But just these, this person who made, like, 
very like my kind of popcorn movies. Um, and then yeah, Jumper, not good. I liked Fair Game, and like he like if I'm looking at his like. I didn't see The Wall and I didn't see American Made, although I know, know a lot of people like American Made. And I guess that's Tom Cruise going back to work with Doug Lyman as well. <laughs> American like, Made is like the definition of like, a, oh, that movie was exactly what I wanted it to be kind of movie. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like I want to see Tom Cruise be charming and uh, do some plane stunts and uh, make some dad jokes. Uh, that's that's kind of what, what you're going to get there. Yeah. So it's weird. Like as much as like. Well, again, I haven't seen The Wall. And I know that wasn't very well received. But, like, looking at his filmography, I I like far more than I dislike on here. What do you think? Of, what, where, where, do you, where do you fall with, like, Lyman? Uh, I was never a fan of Swingers because by the time I discovered it, I was, like, that, that kind of uh, Vince Vaughn era of, uh, like, bro humor was lost on me. And the idea of this one being just a little subversive to that was not, like – enough for me um that's why i liked uh, did you ever see made uh no so made is like john fat so it's basically still favreau and vaughn it came out in 2001 i really liked it when it came out because it was like hey you know vince vong is like we kind of hint that maybe his life isn't that happy and he's not cool what if vince vaughn plays a character who's seen swingers too many times and thinks he's that guy but it's completely intolerable to everyone else in the entire world. <laughs> so I, I did like that, like, Johnny Favs immediately, like, was like, okay, I don't know if people got how toxic he was. I'm going to put it to not 11, but 18. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I remember, I remember Maid coming out and pissing off uh, bros. So, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I loved Born Identity as well, and I saw him sort of like a. Sorry, uh, not to interrupt. Did you see Go ever in your life? No. Okay, interesting. We should do that on the show. I'd be curious your take on that one. It, it struck me as something that was uh, one of those Gen X articles that I uh, just didn't need to get to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that. I think it's like post pulp fiction. Uh, but it has a ton of people that I'm sure you'd like in it. It'd be interesting to revisit. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um, my brother was a big fan of it, so I probably should watch it. Anyways, um, <clears throat> so uh, Doug Lyman, I, I was a fan of the OC. I was a fan of Board Identity. Like, I saw him as someone that kicked off a lot of things I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have any particular attachment to him as a, as a director. Um, and and um, uh, f- frankly, like, when... Uh, when he stepped away from the Bourne movies, I started to like them more. Um, I liked Supremacy and Ultimatum uh, better, and uh, then, and then they made like a fourth one that was that actually brought uh, Bourne back, and it was garbage. So like the Bourne movies fully worked themselves out of my system through um, just overexposure. So yeah. Even even that Born Identity, a movie that I really do love, I don't even return to that much. So yeah, I don't have much of an attachment to Lyman in current day, except for this movie, except for Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Did you? So sorry. I'm just curious. Do you did you like Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Yeah, but it's it's um. I mean, it's like it, weirdly. I, I get it. Like I'm not I'm not ever talk. I just think he makes a lot of movies that I really enjoy, and it's like my kind of viscera pop popcorn movie that i also like i'm never like oh god i gotta watch that mr and mrs smith again <laughs> like yeah 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 but like uh, mr and mrs smith is also like expertly crafted like he's, yeah. he's one of those guys who's like 
he's uh he, he's a technical stylist that like if you just point him in the right direction he'll he'll bring you back results he'll bring you back uh heads but uh the the, the problem is like i just think he gets attached to a bunch of of bullshit very often <laughs> like jumper like jumper is one of those movies that's like weirdly well made for how fucking stupid it is yeah i think he's one of those people that is completely dependent on his screenwriter we talked about that with someone recently that it's like he's gonna make your movie yeah he's gonna make your movie look good be visually interesting and fast-paced and well edited all that kind of stuff but like he is not gonna fix your story if it's broken so absolutely not um but i think in general he has like again he hasn't made for the most part masterpieces but he's made quality like seven to eight out of ten entertainment i think even fair game the movie about uh valerie Plame with naomi watts which is him like taking a different path of like a more claustrophobic type of action movie where it's like you know political thriller in houses with people like running back and forth and putting papers like it's a very well-made movie and naomi watts rules in it yeah and to be more charitable um, to him, he's someone that changed TV and film a few different times. So, yeah. Swingers changed the bro comedy forever. You don't have, you don't have the Will Ferrell, uh, what's it called Gary Sanchez sort of model. Um, that sort of like bro comedy model. You definitely don't have the Hangover movies, and um, uh, I mean, I guess that would mean there's no Joker. So, arguably for the worse. Uh, um and you don't have uh the oc completely changed what teen dramas were so you're not yeah that kind of was like the cw template right afterwards and and afterwards like when the shows started to get more dramatically grounded and more violent um or you know more uh adult in their themes like uh gossip girl was like a direct uh reaction to the oc um not a reaction, but a direct a byproduct of the OC. You don't get any of that without the OC. So he's someone and who, like, a time and time again, filmed, changed film and TV. And I kind of wish, I kind of wish that he had changed uh, big budget action movies with Edge of Tomorrow to make them to to make it so we have a world where there's more highly conceptual sub two hours preferably an hour and 45 uh, minute movies uh where they just get in they have a really cool concept and then they get the fuck out as opposed to these big bloated yeah. spectacle movies where like they have somehow have a five act structure but there's only two characters you care about like um and watching this movie, I was so pleasantly surprised when I rounded the I, I got around to the third act because like, wait, isn't there supposed to be another 45 minutes of this movie left? Because every movie now is two, every one of these movies in this budget range is two and a half hours now. Yeah. Um, like even the new James Bond movie, which look, I am one of those people that just loves James Bond movies that like if it was just the opening gun barrel crawl. And then the little opening notes and then a blank screen for two hours. I'd be like, yeah, that's a that's a three and a half star movie. That's where I'm starting. Um, yeah, I am like that with the James Bond movies. But the new James Bond movie is three hours. <laughs> so and that's gonna yeah. test my like, even, like, even why do we need a three hour James Bond movie? It's not fucking Lawrence of Arabia. Let's look at uh, let's look at something made by uh, essentially uh, the same core team members. Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, two and a half hours. Like. 
even even the good ones are even a movie like Mission Impossible Fallout is a movie that's two and a half hours with arguably no bad scenes. <laughs> it's still yeah. like, yeah, guys, I, I know like you're really good at writing action sequences and performing them and executing them. But like, can we can we make it so these movies are actually tenable as a rewatch? Yeah. And the yeah. first the first I'm Mission so Impossible exhausted. is is 28 minutes because <laughs> they had less commercials for syndication. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's so true. TV show. The other thing I don't think we give Doug Lehman credit enough for, Lyman. I, I've always called it Lehman, but you're saying Lyman and you tend to be right on pronunciation things. <laughs> so I'm just going to change my entire worldview in a matter of seconds and do my best. Uh, but the other thing we really got to give him credit for is that without him, I don't think that Phantom Planet would be the number one selling band of all time because he really, he really introduced it to the world as uh, singing about how – California doesn't care in the famous theme song to the Orange County. It's nice as a California resident. It's nice that anytime that I'm not sure where I am, I don't need Google. I don't need uh, Waze. I don't need to ask Jeeves. I just uh, turn on Phantom Planet and they tell me, California, here we are. Just hey, not helpful to pizza We man. are having fun. California. I don't know those lyrics. You can put in anything. That's the brilliance of Phantom Planet. California, here we are. Yeah, is it here we are? I thought sure. it was we don't care. Was, we don't care. That's here we are. Oh yeah. See, like I said, that's that's what the Phantom is. Oh, I think the it's... Phantom and Phantom Planet is that you can put in whatever lyrics you want, and it's fine. I'm really um, incapable of coming up with a joke to connect our our friend Douglas Lamont and Doug Lyman, but. Um, both swingers. <laughs> Bo oh, absolutely. Both are money and they don't even know it. They both, they're living like there's no tomorrow. Uh, and we're on the edge of tomorrow. So before we get... have jumped at least once before. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, before we get into the movie proper, which is right around the corner, one thing I want to do this month is to talk about how this structure differs from uh, its progenitor in... Groundhog Day. I like the word so, progenitor. Can you say that again? Progenitor? Ooh, I like that. Uh, it's from a series called Resident Evil. And I know. It's the first virus. It felt good to hear it out in the wild. Like I this. know. I'm, try I'm trying to bring it back. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just got No, I can say more got chills. I usually get – I rarely get congratulated of the words I say around here. <laughs> Normally, I get nothing but derided. So, it's feel it felt good for me too. Can you, can you teach your daughter the word progenitor tomorrow? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, She'll say progeria for about a year, but it's about it's about the slow. Oh, which daughter? Do you want the young one who like still yells at uh, Alexa, Alexa, and then gets mad that it doesn't recognize her voice, or do you want the <laughs> older one? I think it's your fault for not changing Alexa's name to Alexa. Alexa, <laughs> Alexa's not working. <laughs> um, real conversations we have because I play her music on Alexa, and she wants to participate. Uh, so. Hold on. Uh, hang on my list. Okay. So, the big differences between this and Groundhog Day is that he's not reliving the, the same day. He's reliving a not a set amount of time that essentially he has to die by the end of what is the second day or potentially third day. It's a little unclear. I think it's the second day. The blood but, just can't leave his system, basically. Exactly. Like, he, he can't recycle his blood. Uh... Two, um, they explain why this is happening. 
Obviously, in Groundhog Day, you never find out why. You never find out the reasons for it. Here, the big, like, hook of the mystery, which is solved pretty quickly about why it's happening. But then the whole point is, how do I use this power to stop another thing that's happening? And then the third component is that he has to die each time, uh, as opposed to just it resets, that he has to... Uh, be be murdered and so he always has a violent ending sometimes uh, initiated on accident which is a lot of very funny scenes uh, sometimes initiated by him on pur- purpose and also it also allows all these funny scenes where Emily Blunt just gets frustrated or the training didn't go well and knows how to reset the day so it's that ability to reset the day at at will um, the other big component that, they literally um, use a handgun to the brain as a, a bullet yep. to the brain as the uh, restart checkpoint <laughs> the other big difference is that the 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 repetition of this timeline ends uh, right before the third act so the third act of this movie and actually what I think is the weakest part of this movie uh, which we'll talk more about in the episode proper is with that power stripped away, can they save the day? Because in this movie, it really is a power. Uh, it's a power that the uh, alien species that's attacking them has been using to be victorious. Um, and, uh, and it's a power that when stolen can allow the humans to potentially win the war. And it is funny to consider it in that way because in Groundhog Day it is never really seen as much of a power besides some uh, low stakes personal gains for the most part for Phil Connors. But you can see if this actually existed in real life, especially with the ability to end it at any point, uh, why it would be a power to um, – to basically do whatever. It's why they talk about how the aliens are undefeatable because when one of their generals dies, they just re- learn everything they can from that and start over. And um, it's just a complete reverse of the way that Groundhog views it as a curse um, to like a superpower that uh, can turn the tide of the ward and then Emily Blunt's character is extremely frustrated that she lost. Yeah, it's a really uh, the way it connects to Groundhog Day is pretty interesting because like while it uses the same conceptual structure as Aaron was talking about, it gets at different themes. It's not uh, a sort of Zen like uh, metaphysical uh, approach to uh, how our, our lives run in these sort of banal cycles and it feels like you can never quite get ahead and how you uh, it feels like all of the drudgery just repeats itself without your control and all that. The movie is not really about that. It's more like a, it's, it's a, a video game. It's about, yeah. it's, it's about um, repeat repetition um, and growing stronger and better each time to the point where um, you're not afraid. Uh, you're not cowardly. <laughs> you uh, have good leadership skills. Uh, you have a good sense of perspective. Uh, you, uh, aren't as petty about things you're more selfless and that's why the third act for me actually kind of works because all of a sudden like his superpower gets stripped away from him and everything matters all of a sudden and sacrifices all of a sudden matter and have dramatic heft again where like for a long time there's literally there's literally like we get interested to this J squad um, Mm -hmm. which is basically like their uh, aliens like colonial marines group Um, oh what made you think of that the fact that Bill Paxton's there 
it's it's more of a comedic thing when these guys die early on like it's uh death is so trivialized that it becomes this sort of like fun little farce and then as tom cruise it lives in this awful limbo uh and he gets more and more frustrated as time goes on uh it it's um it feels like more of it's like a commentary on war and how war just grounds down your soul and how like the feeling of of hopelessness is um the feeling of hopelessness is completely uh, antithetical to uh, true leadership and true bravery and true courage. Yeah, I um, I am glad you got that from the movie. I I don't really get that from the movie, but well, I not to Monday morning quarterback or whatever else Monday morning film direct. Um, I I I like where the movie was going thematically about like. Even within the bounds of war, you can't save everyone. Um, and I thought the movie would – like when he reaches that point in the place where he's like, hey, I've done this a million times and you die every time. I don't know what else to do to get past this. And I think the th- – I feel like the third act grappling with that more um, would have made for a more emotionally resonant – movie about the cost of war but anyways we're really getting into it so peter are you ready to talk about the edge or just edge just edging of tomorrow yeah i'd I'd love to edge tomorrow today i'll come edge that's not how it works unless you're in a backwards time loop peter i'll start edging as soon as i'm done coming okay oh that'll take forever then you're not gonna enjoy it at all (laughs) it's not supposed to be fun well, I think I think of anything. Sex, sex supposed to be fun. I think of anything. You've made it at least not unpleasant because you're like, it's fine if I'm edging. I don't want to come again for at least a little bit. <laughs> want to uh, give us some alternate taglines yeah peter i would love to <laughs> can you tell it was very organic when i asked you for some alternate taglines it's not like we had a conversation about it beforehand and figured it out Absolutely uh, not. and then no um you need to practice your like i know you don't like we have d- different styles in recording and i think that's good um but I think I do it with like the like welcoming people back from a commercial break on the radio. Where it's like, Peter, you are, and you're like, Hey, hello, Aaron, welcome to the show. So, okay, let's try to both do it as the other person. Quit. Oh, okay. Hey, Pete, you want to give us some alternate taglines? Sure thing, Aaron. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you do it as me. <clears throat> Peter, you are alternate tagline. No, like two. Don't say your own name. <laughs> no, I'm introducing myself for alternate taglines. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> say my name, Peter. <laughs> Aaron, you are alternate taglines. Yeah, that didn't feel unnatural for you, did it? Yeah, you're just trying to change who I am, but it's fine. It's natural. Uh, yeah. Also, could you wear your hair like this? <laughs> I really don't like you in that color. <laughs> uh, you're gonna go out in public with that? Those are plaid shorts with a striped shirt. I don't think so, Peter. <laughs> From the very beginning of this episode where I asked you for nudes. Um, I said, really, I said, 
<laughs> yeah. I set it up, though, though, your clothes choice that everyone in the audience would agree I'm right. You shouldn't go out like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hoping that people's um, uh, fashion taste overrides the fact that you are clearly uh, doing some sort of uh, emotional abuse to me. What do you think? you think you should go out in a striped shirt and plaid shorts? I guess if you don't think so. Well, it's not me. It's society, Peter. I can't control society. <laughs> scary now, here. <laughs> I'm scared. Um, yeah, no, I'm also in taglines. So, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, Holy shit, do you get it, Peter? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you should, they, they should make the sequel Bono of Tomorrow. <laughs> What Frank Frank Mullins? What are their names? <laughs> Henry, Henry Mullins Jr. Hen- of Tomorrow. Is, I don't think is it Henry Mullins. Eh. Larry Larry Mullins Jr. of Tomorrow. Yeah. L- let's be honest. The only way, the only reason we got there was because of you talking you talk to, YouTube to, me. to me. Yeah, I don't like you too. Yeah, I just like that podcast. Um. All right, Aaron. I'm going to give you. A give, little me, give me. Give me a little bit recap. of the plot. Make sure you get every single iteration in incredible detail. Uh, that's the plan. I mean, Great. we've got Can't wait. We've got time. One second. Apparently, I need to get character names. Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt. Got it. Tim Cruise, Emma Joint. Emily Emily Spiff. Emily Spiff. My Swiss get ripped. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, Tim clear Cruise. Out, clear out the Fuck. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise plays Cage, sort of a PR man for. His uh, name is specific- Cage. Yeah, that's not even one of those things that like even partially rings a bell. And I watched it last night. Do they say his name ever in the movie? It seems like William Cage or something. I don't think it ever comes up. Yeah, uh, it does. It's just he's at the beginning of the movie. He's a he's a soft man. He's oh, it's because they call boy. him Major. Like the one guy that says his name is like Major or pri- like they just say his rank. Mm-hmm. I don't think his name is said. It is. Um, so Cage, a name that's said numerous times in the film, <laughs> um, is the most cowardly of the Cages. Um, Rage Cage, Nicholas Cage. Um, Cage Why the cage bird sings. <laughs> the, ca- the cage that keeps the bird in there. The rage cage. The rage cage. Um, those cages are all way more badass than this cage. This guy is a army uh, marketing guy. He's an advertising guy, a PR guy. He basically like talks up the war effort on TV. Uh, and he was like, by his own admission, uh, barely made it, barely went through uh, basic. He was like a ROTC guy that like basically just... Um, he, uh, he got, he used it to help pay off school or whatever. And then he started an advertising firm and then uh, a war broke out on earth where uh, this mimic army invaded and took over, uh, basically all of Europe. Um, think about it in terms of like the Nazi occupation of Europe, uh, minus probably North Africa, basically yeah. all L- of the- London's last stand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's very clearly calling up both, uh, D-Day and uh, the Battle of Dunkirk. So, um, the 
uh, he is called into uh, the general's office and basically told that he's going to be on the front lines and that he's no longer going to be this like, uh, you know, st- uh, voice for the military that doesn't take any risks. And he actually talks in his way into uh, he was going to be in a fairly safe battle zone. And this is an interesting thing because Tom Cruise is, usually plays like. Uh, very heroic people. Um, he's actually such a coward that he talks his way into getting pushed under the front lines because this general hates him so much. Yeah, let's talk about – let's just pause there for a sec. I feel like this movie doesn't do that much with the fact that the commanding officer of like humanity, the good guy's best hope, like is like, oh, you're kind of annoying. I'm going to murder you. <laughs> he's <laughs> like – not even – not even – there's there's not even any like shades to it. Like – uh, I know you're not trained for this. I'm going to take away your ranking commander and basically kidnap you and then throw you out of a moving fucking plane in a space that you've never operated. You're going to die. This feels um, specifically Japanese to me because the Japanese sor- source material. Um, I feel like every Japanese uh, sci-fi movie or sci-fi story I've read has some sort of military asshole who, even if he's on the good guy's side, is like uh vicious and will just feed anyone to the to the to the through the churn yeah i guess in in fairness like i don't maybe it's because they have like a very like dad i mean like the world's lovable dad character playing playing the general but like both of his things like i'm gonna murder you and then when they convince him later on and he gives him the thing and then calls the police to like i don't i don't really get him I don't know what his deal is. Yeah, he is a the the, the general character is uh, kind of underwritten, but essentially he's he represents a sort of bureaucracy that uh, is also caging in Cage, um, who is uh, going to be stuck within a loop in this movie. So let's get to the loop and what it is. What the loop yeah. is is uh, he wakes up after being conked out and told he was going to be you know basically Operation Human Shield. Um, He's going to be uh, chucked in uh, with as a private. Uh, he uh, gets suited up by a group of guys that all hate him. Uh, Bill Paxton is his like CO. He fucking hates him. And they essentially do like a paratrooping, a big red one invasion into uh, into uh, Europe. But yeah, a lot of Starship it- Trooper like the novel vibe. Yeah, with a uh, big, big bulking, uh, m- not quite mechas, but like power armor. Yeah, and they literally drop out like they did in the terrible no- novel by Robert Heinlein, Star Trek Troopers. Yeah, so it's um, they, they get dropped out and it's a slaughter. Everyone that he recognizes essentially gets murdered right away. Um, and he also gets introduced to the valor of this like war hero, uh, Rita Vertasky, a.k.a. Full Metal Bitch. Um, they, I don't think they ever get utter full metal bitch out loud in the movie because she punches a dude in the stomach for saying it. Yeah, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, but it's like painted on the side of a bus. It's clearly like part of her like, uh, what is it? Like a gr- grass. F- if you didn't know this was based on the Japanese manga, the other way you can tell is that uh, Emily Blunt's character and all the, her, her main fighting weapon is uh, the sword the size of a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically like a cloud stripe sword, uh, but a little smaller. <laughs> well, I think it's about as big. Like about, oh, sorry, cloud stripe is pretty short, so yeah, same size. Uh, it's uh, but it is like they they use it in one scene of the movie. My guess is it had a bigger uh, a bigger part of the source material, but it is just like, huh? All right, 
Yeah, that's something something interesting about a lot of Japanese uh, source material is they just like the the big swords. Um, I yeah, just I mean, reading Berserk again, and uh, same thing. His power whole is thing. basically he's really mad and he has a big sword. <laughs> well, I should start Berserk so we can read it together because I just yeah. read the first book. We want to start at the same time? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll pause for you. Um, okay, so uh, he runs into her. She uh, dies, and then he dies. But he dies in a unique way. He gets he sees a big blue weird alien who he uh, shoots. He somehow manages to get his gun off of safety, which is a great sequence. He sp- basically spends all yeah. of D Day uh, <laughs> trying to turn his gun on. Trying to turn his gun on. Uh, it would be like much if- like I spent all my wedding night trying to turn my wife on. <laughs> except unlike <laughs> Tom Cruise, no success at the end for me. <laughs> Although the face that he gives when he dies is my face going to bed. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, also, it's a lot of you know, jokes at my expense in a row. <laughs> yeah, I'm really loving it. Um, da, 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 da. I'm loving it. Um, I, I th- another amazing thing about this movie. Not only do they let you see Tom Cruise be a coward, which is something that I don't think he plays in literally any other movie. Um, he's played played fancy boys like in Legend or yeah. uh, Interview with a Vampire, but never a coward. Um, and uh, he. He, you get to see Tom Cruise die a lot, like horrifically. horrifically. Like his blood is melting through his eye sockets and his. Yeah, mouth that sequence and- is like one notch away from making the whole movie R rated. Yeah, it's 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 really yeah, good. it's really great. Um, it's one of the most violent images in the movie, maybe the most violent image in the movie, but it, it has an impact because you're not expecting Tom Cruise to die. So when they snap cut to, oh shit, he's in a loop. It's somewhat shocking. Um, so maybe that's why they advertised it that way. Um, because then he's just asleep on the bags and he's getting yelled at. And liter- and then uh, he starts to anticipate the cycle. And at first he's trying to weasel his way out of uh, service because he knows this, this invasion is going to be a disaster. He tries to weasel his way out of service. Eventually, he starts to feel a call. Like, he's like, all right, the only way I'm going to make it through this is if I fight my way through it. Like, very self-serving. And then yeah. he ends up uh, and then he ends up finding Rita Vertasky um, to try and get her. She's like, he's like, you're the hero. Get us off this beach. And then she realizes, oh, shit, you're just like me. Yeah, because um, he's anticipating everything before it happens. Yes. And, and she's, she's like, like, hey, come find me when you wake up. Yes. So, Rita... Uh, he goes and finds Rita every single day from that point forward to to kick off the day because she's also recycling. But she previously was stuck in a cycle in the battle that made her famous, this battle of Verdun. Um, she was stuck in a cycle. She uh, got the blood in her as well. And the way that the blood got out of her was she was injured in the battle trying to destroy this Omega head, this big Metroid brain that controls the Mimic army. Um, She was trying to destroy it and she got injured on the way there. And then um, she got a blood transfusion from a medic and uh, the blood is what carries the power. Yeah, that's the one rule. You got to kill yourself by the end of each day or else your body will dilute the blood and or something like that could happen and you won't be able you'll lose the power yeah so uh she's she's uh got a chip on her shoulder because she wasn't able to stop this war in time even though and she went through this hellish experience where she saw her brother die 300 times in a row and all of her teammates die three times 300 times in a row and that's why what sort of made her this like battle hardened she's sort of seeing it's sort sort of like seeing a bill murray like the movie starts with like a bill murray but like um at the end of 
the the movie, but instead of learning to be a good person, he learned how to be like an amazing killer <laughs> in a way that people don't get the chance to in real life, really. Like you uh usually by the time you've had enough trial and error in combat, you just die, right? Um so Yeah. So she she got to become this like insane god uh, level killer. Um, though she's still dying in battle when she's with uh, she's with um, Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise is starting to get yeah, attached. But she, doesn't, to her. she doesn't remember it. She's starting to get, but she's she's starting to get attached to him. Uh, you know, in the successive cycles, because he's starting to get attached to her, and he's opening her up, and she's opening up to him, and um, yeah, she's realizing that like, oh, I told you about that. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Which leads to more opening up because, well, if I've already shared that with you, obviously I can share the next part of that with And the way that this movie is geniusly edited is that, like, it never drags. It never feels like you're watching the same shit too many times. It, yeah. How to effectively communicate the, um, the, 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 the point of the scene and then make it such a cool scene that you remember it. And so when they have to go back and reference the scene, you're not completely fucking confused. Um, yeah. And one thing uh, – I'll pause here a little bit. One thing this movie does that's interesting and much different than Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day spends a long time setting up its first day and all the – a lot of different components of it. And then does – spends a lot of time on the second and third day specifically and then makes – starts going into like not that much time has elapsed this this movie spends a little bit of time on the first day a tiny bit of time on the second day and then pretty soon we're just seeing him like go through this battle and he's like a video game he keeps getting further and further like oh he got hit by a bus now this or a a tanker or whatever this time he avoids it and then the emily blunt stuff happens really quick where he's already like a yeah, where he's like a master, uh, which is like he's already like a master of the battlefield, right? So, like, all that happens in, like, 20 minutes. Uh, and it leads to something I think this movie does very well, is it doesn't let the audience in on how, uh, where this is in the time loop, right? So, we start jumping into these scenes that we've never seen before, and you're you're struck by, like, this could be the first time that this is happening, and then all of a sudden, he, Tom Cruise will reveal, like, yeah, I've actually done this thousands of times. And that adds to the scene. And then other times, like when he goes back to the general and you're not you're not sure where you're watching in the loop. And Emily Blunt's like, all right, now what do we do next? And he's like, actually, this is new. We haven't gotten this far before. And that's a very fun inventiveness because – in Groundhog Day, it doesn't matter, right? You're seeing different permutations and variations on these corners of the town. But since this is, again, more video game where you're trying to advance the the effort that you're putting in, finding out that this is actually a level that I've been stuck on for a while or, oh, shit, I just got past that boss for the first time as the characters or more specifically Emily Blunt is finding out about them is a very interesting choice that I really like. Yeah. And the, another interesting connection to Groundhog Day is that her character's name is Rita, which is also Andy McDowell's character, um, which is Who's more... the Chris Elliott? Bill, Paul, Bill Paxton? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Bill Paxton is, uh, is Ned Ryerson. Yeah, that's. Who just comes in to troll him. Like, he's just a troll at the beginning of the story. Major? 
<laughs> Paxton? I don't know what his name is. Um, and uh, then eventually Tom Cruise is clowning on Bill Paxton and, and all that. Like, maybe that's maybe the corollary. But it's funny that they have Rita. Yeah, that is odd. Um, because it's it, it's not saying that those characters are the same. It's actually It actually helps you contrast uh, in how differently the characters work. Because in Groundhog Day, it would feel kind of like a burden to put on Rita. Um, yeah. To on uh, Andy McDowell's Rita to uh, let her know about the cycle. Instead, it's better that Bill Murray just has the cycle. He treats it almost as this like cursed ash power, and uh, he just works his way through the cycle, sort of accepts it as a manner of existence. Um, and then in uh, this Rita, the fact that he gets to team up with her and every day explain it to her, but like she's such a badass that it doesn't feel like it's like a. Not to say Rita, Andy McDowell's Rita isn't like a strong character, but she's this Rita has like been through the exact same experience. So it doesn't feel like it's like a cruelty to make her mentally go through this strain every day in order to join his little army. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, jump, they finally get to a point where they actually get some traction um, with the general. And yeah, the general then's like, here's the thing you need. And then immediately calls the police military police on him and in the escape tom cruise gets injured they're not able to kill him and they give him a blood transfusion thus kicks off the the end of the movie which is tom cruise who has some control uh over the events but almost none at this point um yeah. because he can't hit reset and now the stakes are way higher Oh, sorry. We, uh, it's my fault probably for interrupting, but we passed over the fact that all these aliens are controlled by Hive Mind, not the most original. And they've been – what they've been trying to figure out is where the Hive Mind is. Yeah, yeah. I touched uh, on that. I touched on that. Thing they, yeah, earlier. But oh, like, did you? We, sorry. We need to dig into that for a minute. Like, yeah. it, it's – you're right. It, it's – there's a Hive Mind that essentially controls all of them. And spoiler alert, you kill the Hive Mind, you kill the whole army. And he, it sends out these alphas as feelers. Um, alphas are the special ones that killed uh, Rita and uh, Cage. And uh, if you kill one and get your blood, the blood in your system, then it gives you access to the yeah. central nervous system, which means you have access to time travel. And it kind of uses uh, these these death and rebirth cycles, as as, as Aaron said. Um, it's almost as Aaron said, like uh, uh, strategizing. So mm -hmm. it, it's basically like a computer running probabilities. And running um, simulations almost, but with real bodies and real pain. <laughs> yeah, it's a video game with unlimited lives um, and you're playing on easy. Yeah. So this, you'll the, eventually get through it. All this alien cares about is winning yeah. and it thinks it can't lose. So yeah. uh, all it does is just sit and just reset, 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 reset. And nobody knows about it except for people that are tied into the system, such as Cage. So then at the, the third act, the goal is to kill the hive mind win the war and, that, and that's the, the information they get yeah that's they get finally get the information of um of where the hive mind is located so one real quick production note here they uh mccory who's like famous for being able to like fix scripts as we talked about earlier um wasn't able to crack the ending with tom cruise or doug lyman um until uh during production and it sounds like they all like kind of like not wrestled but like kind of like argued and debated about how to end the movie and then they came up with this solution which i think is one way to go um but we'll get into that in a minute but um they came up with, the, with this solution which is basically um 
raise the stakes in the third act. Like the most important thing in the movie is to make the third act have meaning and to have Tom Cruise have the superpower can kind of make um, sacrifices feel pointless and it can make um, risk feel pointless. Um, So instead they say, let's add all the risk back in. Let's add all the sacrifice back in. And so he convinces his team, let's go kill the hive mind, which has changed locations. Um, And him and Rita recruit their little team. They steal a drop ship. They go in. There's a big, there's a bunch of big sacrificial moments where the team all gets wiped out one by one, um, trying to get Rita encaged to the brain. Uh, Rita sacrifices herself in battle against the alpha um, because if you killed the alpha then it also resets the cycle um, wouldn't it wouldn't work uh, and then uh, cage uh, swims down kills the kills the hive mind and uh, but is killed in the process um, and the hive mind's blood mixes with his blood and we're not really sure what's going to happen here. And then he wakes up on a helicopter in a different location than when he started. Wakes up on a helicopter. Uh, you know, VE Day 2 has happened. Um, he is there basically to... Uh, he's gotten to the next day. He's back. He's back right before... No, he's, he hasn't. He's gotten before oh, the yes. beginning of the movie. So he's at the same location he would have been, but instead of right having Right before to we saw... Yeah. Yeah, instead of getting chucked into battle, he's, um, instead of getting chucked into battle, he's, uh, uh, back in his his position as like a PR flack, um, and but like before he jumps into the general's office, like we're seeing the scene before the the first scene of the movie. Yeah, and so he ends up, um, he ends up basically going beelining. The, the war is won. He beelines to Rita, who doesn't recognize him, and he smiles knowingly because it, it, even though he thought he lost her, he thought he lost the whole crew, um, he 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 got to save them, he got to save the world, and he got to save the people that he cared most about. Can I say also that it's a smash cut to the weirdest choice for a song to end this movie on of all time? Like, I, mean, I understand only one song ended this movie, but like... The tonal switch from the end of this futuristic movie to I want to know now, like some weird 2014 era pop music is odd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I, mean, that's kind of like an issue with every big budget movie that yeah, doesn't, it doesn't have ruin a, anything. It's just it's just bizarre. Like, yeah. it's so out of place. That's just a, it's a it's an issue I have with a lot of action movies where they're like, they'll show you some genuinely badass shit. And then at the end, they're like, and we hired a pop punk band to do <laughs> our Well, song. it's like a hit song, though, and it's like a future war movie. Like, yeah. it just doesn't make it. I don't know. So, it's so not yes. like they pulled it from, they were like, uh, they're like, Mission Impossible movies have like a sense of, of like, modernized adventure. Like, let's just use the song we would maybe end a Mission Impossible movie with. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, let's, let's talk about the ending a little more. It feels like something that we have a little bit of a... Uh, differ differ on so I mean the movie is so much about resetting the day and and having that power and again I we, we the second act is so interesting to me because it spends a lot of time getting to this farmhouse we see Rita and apparently named Cage talk um, for a while and they get through this, like, find the minivan and stuff like that. And then 
all of a sudden Tom Cruise is like, hey, why don't you just hang out here? And Rita realizes that something's off. And Tom, this is where Tom Cruise reveals, look, I keep getting to this point and I'm just stuck. Like, no matter what we do, you die or I die. But either way, both of us aren't getting out from here. And at that point, they think they're going to where the um, the hive mind is located. So they're like, hypothetically, we get past this. I go to the hive mind. I kill the hive mind. You're dead forever. That doesn't work for me. And Rita's like, you like do you not realize like what i've lived what all i what i live what i've lived my life for is that we need to stop it's like it's okay if i die the important thing is stopping this war which is almost about to wipe out humanity and they talk about like loss and the consequences of combat and a lot of that kind of stuff and the consequences of war and it's it's my favorite part of the movie and then of course rita goes yeah i'm taking the helicopter and then they die or she dies, and the and then uh, Tom Cruise dies, and it and it resets. Um, soon after that, he loses the power, which again, I I think taking out this movie has the trappings of a very generic uh, sci-fi action movie in both like how the aliens work, the alien design, the the armor design. The reason it's so fucking good is because of that time component. So at the very least. <laughs> The, I, I like the idea of him either not losing the power, but then realizing, like, hey, I can't reset everything. So, like, someone I care about is going to die, which is the whole point of that middle act part. Or even if they lose the power, recognizing that he was that he needs to make some sacrifices. Although thematically, I think it's still more interesting if he has the power, like he gets to that ending point and it's like, yep, I now have to choose between resetting forever in some infinite thing that always ends, uh, that that needs to end in Rita or someone else's death or something. I'm not trying to fringe Rita because she does rule. But I feel like – or he needs to die and he decides to sacrifice himself. But I feel like the concept of sacrifice that is so drilled home as a theme goes away when the power's gone. And then at the end of everything where it looks like he has made all those sacrifices you talked about, he doesn't get to reset. The people in his squadron that die – die he sacrificed himself he dies instead they're all back and it's fine like i just think that you mentioned that they had trouble cracking it it's not that i dislike the last third but i don't think they fully cracked it and i think there was some more interesting thematic threads that they could have woven into it i wonder how much of it was the studio interfering and saying that they couldn't go really sad. Kill, kill Cruz or Blunt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Studio also saying if this is a big, big, uh, you know, franchise potential, we need to open up the ending for, you know, more movies. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, you know, maybe Tom Cruise was like, we need to have uh, from Macquarie's perspective, at least what he shared was that he was working with tom cruise who like really wanted the humor to be in the movie which is we'll talk about the humor great it's so good kind of what makes the movie so charming right yeah like it it it, it owns like the the movie's just like rampant chaotic sense of humor is like what i really like about it they were saying basically that it's uh and i don't necessarily agree that if a movie is as funny as this you can't have a tragic ending um and then also i mean it's just the fact that it's like a big fucking expensive movie and like at the end you're gonna have to have a victory it's just a hollywood thing i mean there's lots of things they could have done here 
Um, if in an ideal world, like they could have had a tragic sacrificial ending where Tom Cruise actually dies. He chooses to throw his life to at killing the Omega and saves Rita. No reset. Right. And then she's the only one that walks out of there alive somehow. Like that could be cool. Um, they could have gone deeper into like the sci-fi lore concepts, which I think is like a way more risky area, but maybe could be cool. Like they, the ending raises questions about the blood that I don't think the movie is prepared to answer. Yeah. And I kind of I kind of would love if the sequel was just like, hey, a weird thing happened at the end of the last movie. Um, we're going to make solving what happened at the end of the last movie part of our central conceit. You know, um, you know what I think? That'd be uh, cool. Can I can I tell you my pitch for a sequel for this movie or potentially any Groundhog Day type movie? Uh, but it works best for something like this that I had the idea. So hypothetically, let's say Rita assumes that when the blood transfusion happens, if if she were to die again, that it wouldn't reset the day, right? Yeah. She makes that assumption. Obviously, she doesn't test it because if she tested it, she would be dead. Um, as such, she's not dying in that component again. So, even though Tom Cruise, in kind of a cheesy, like, hey, we just need to confirm that this isn't real so we can set up stakes for the ending, he's like, no, I feel it. I lost the power. Um, which is a line I really don't like. And I do really love this movie. We're going to talk about stuff. There's some there's like. some stuff that the studio inserted, notably the scene in the pub. Yeah. Um, and that line sounds like it's studio inserted where they thought people could. No, no. What the if they think he's, yeah. What if they think he's faking? Well, we'll say that he feels that he lost it. But anyways, I love the idea of starting the sequel with him as an old man who dies and then wakes up back on the cot again. Like, oh shit. It's just when I die and I haven't actually fixed this. I just didn't realize the timeline was so long. That's a cool idea. That's a cool idea. And we'll have to like, if if that ends up being part of the equation for the sequel, we're going to have to come back and give you a big round of applause. Because like in the wake of the Irishman, where it's not about time travel, but the idea that like your life is this sort of like recursive cycles of regret um <laughs> that uh i love the idea of taking like an old man arc and then being like oh hey shit uh you uh you didn't break the cycle you're you actually you still there. in it yeah because how else could you test it you couldn't the only way to test it is to die so the only time that in theory tom cruise is gonna die again is of whatever kills him in old age in this movie um, yeah, just because he's good at battle now, it doesn't mean he's going to, like, go work for whatever futuristic Blackwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's good in specific battle. Um, <laughs> it's not like he's going to... Yeah, exactly. He's, he's actually he's, not. He kept dying over and over. He just got good at the levels. Like, you throw a sequel in him, he's not going to know how all the levels and where all the mobs are hidden. Yeah, John Wick could have knocked this movie out in 20 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> lot, lot more stabbing the aliens <laughs> than occurred. Cage is not like going back to to battle. Um, and I gotta say one thing about um about th- these kind of movies is I feel like I feel like we give we now finally give people like Keanu Reeves and Tom Cruise respect for. Not just for doing their own stunts, but also for, like, giving respect to their stunt people. Like, he actually, yeah. Keanu Reeves doesn't s- says he doesn't do stunts. He does, like, physical performances or whatever, which sounds really um, pretentious to an outsider. But he's, like, literally saying, like, I have so much respect for stunt work. I'm yeah. just 
I, I'm not I'm not doing choreography. I'm not doing any of this. I'm just practicing physical moves in order. I can't improvise. Like he's saying, like I'm not a, a, an expert on stunts, and literally, I'm not allowed to go past this line. Although I th- I would say the big difference is that from what I understand, Keanu Reeves does give stunt uh, people a lot of respect, but he gives it. It seems like to everyone, he sees people as humans. Tom Cruise, I. I venture to say that stunt people are the only people he gives respect to because uh he he's a monster yeah <laughs> tom cruise this is uh we have it this is our first tom cruise movie it is our first tom oh cruise no we did we did legend we did legend oh yeah i didn't think of it that um, is like barely a tom cruise movie um, um it's it, it's that's why we i almost forgot because uh yeah. it's it's the last movie you would think of tom cruise being in because it's he's not playing off his star it's, persona it's the, it's the only one where he's like he's boyish but not sexy yeah no no the sexiest person in there is tim curry it's the only movie where tim curry out sexies tom cruise <laughs> I mean, mainly because I don't think they've been in other movies together. But yeah, uh, uh, I could see people preferring Tim Curry to Tom Cruise in, in many movies. But. Yeah. So I, I don't really have it. I don't really have a whole lot of interest in doing the uh, Mission Impossible movies on the show, even though I love all of them pretty much. Like yeah. I even have admiration for two, even though it's a terrible movie. I haven't seen two in a while. I've been meaning to. I haven't watched it since like um, 2002. Shocked but. we haven't done like Collateral, Minority Report, uh, Interview with a Vampire. Feels like it's exactly a movie we would do. Yeah, I mean we we've talked a lot about like everyone has their personal limits of like when an actor becomes because again. There are so many monsters in Hollywood. Capitalism is, uh, you know, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I respect everyone's decision when they're like, um, yeah, you know what? I, I get it. Everyone has their limits with an actor that decide, like, um, I just don't want to experience their art. Like, I'm at that point with Johnny Depp and a few other people. Like, I'm just not interested in seeing movies they're a part of. Like, um, Tom Cruise is one of those weird people that he seems like such a fake person in general mm-hmm. that um, – I don't – it's almost like Tom Cruise the person and Tom Cruise the actor are two separate people in my head because he's like – he's just a complete lunatic. Like I don't know And there's also like it. rumors that he participated in beatings on, you know, yeah. like Scientology grounds and – So, yeah. He's like – I mean he's an awful, awful person. But for whatever reason uh, well, that I know is like – even my wife, like, hates watching Tom Cruise movies because she just, like, thinks and has for years and that, like, she just thinks he's a creep. Like, even before a lot of the weird Scientology stuff came out, like, uh, my dad was the same way. But mainly that's because Tom Cruise tried to kick him out of a hotel room. That's a story for potentially another day. Um, you've heard that story, right? No. I never told you about the time that Tom Cruise uh, tried to kick my dad out of a hotel? No. <laughs> Have I ever said it on the podcast? No, no. Not this then. is this is completely. All right, so I will. I'll tell. Why not? I mean, <laughs> this is this is definitely a story. We've been friends for. I did. I did it once. Yeah, I did it once on like Twitter. Where like, what's a story about a celebrity that people won't believe, but is a hundred percent true? And I did tell it on Twitter. Like, it may have been like four or five years ago. But uh, so essentially, my dad was a was a um, a radio personality in Calspell, um, uh, Montana. Uh, and we there's this place called Whitefish that has a lot of resort stuff in Cowspells in the Rockies. Uh, so at Whitefish, he knew the guy that owned this big resort there because he also owned the, a radio station that he sometimes like did segments for or whatever. 
So uh, we would go up there and stay. So I was actually at the hotel. So this is 1987. I would have been four, 87 or 86. Uh, and my brother Luke was there and my mom as well. Um, and so Tom Cruise, this is right after Top Gun came out. Um, and Tom Cruise with Emilio Estevez was at this um, resort. And my dad found out about it. And of course, being someone who was a radio personality, wanted to get an interview with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise was not interested. He, you know, he wanted to get away. He was just becoming uber famous. <laughs> um and so my dad approached him and he asked for an interview. And Tom Cruise, you know, he said later on, I didn't find out the story till like 1998 when my dad was watching a Mission Impossible movie with me. And my mom's like, oh, you're watching Tom Cruise movies again. Um, but uh, yeah, so my dad asked him and he was like, no, I'm like, I'm just on vacation, not interested in doing press, especially just some <laughs> hippie guy <laughs> in Montana <laughs> at this resort. Anyways. So, there was um, a, a, a poker table or whatever, a blackjack table at this hotel. Um, a few of them. And so, my dad sat down. So, Emilio Estevez and Tom Cruise were playing. And my dad sat down and uh, started playing, you know, not talking at first. And then eventually just kind of asking, like, so how you like a whitefish and stuff like that. Um, so, they played for a while – and then somehow my dad did something to reveal on on accident, like moved a napkin weird that he had had he had a tape recorder on. Oh God! Yeah. So um, <laughs> so Tom Cruise stands up and slams the chair back into the uh, blackjack table and goes off. My dad realizes that not not a cool thing to do. So he. Found out from the the owner of this resort which room Tom Cruise's was, and he wrote an apology note and slid it under his door. Like I'm not going to use it on air. You, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next morning he wakes up and he gets a call from the owner of the hotel's uh, guy named Barry, and this guy's like, "Hey, so Tom Cruise called me and wants me to kick you out of the hotel. Um, I'm not going to do it." But I need you to, like, leave him alone the rest of the time that he's he's here. So, my dad being – I guess he would have been about 30 at this time. And um, he went and wrote another note under his door that said, hey, a lot of people seem to think you're the top gun. I think you're a top asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in his like, my dad is a very interesting character. He's not one admitting he's wrong, but he admitted he was wrong. And then Tom Cruise tried to kick him out of the hotel, which I get it. Like from like, hey, this this weirdo knows where my hotel room is. Get him the fuck out of here. Yeah, and from that's, my dad's that's extremely weird. <laughs> and from my dad's perspective, he's like, hey, this we're just human beings. I said sorry to this guy, and he tries to kick me out of the hotel. Like, uh. Again, I recognize both perspectives, knowing my dad and knowing just uh, that my dad probably wouldn't even recognize. Like, yeah, sure, you're a celebrity, but I who care? I don't care that you're a celebrity. <laughs> so what does it matter? You were just two human beings. So anyway, so the next morning, my dad uh, saw open up the window and saw Tom Cruise uh, apparently left or decided to check out early, and he said was throwing his stuff into the trunk of his car and like kicking his car and stuff. And Amelia Vestavis is standing there. Like, he was part of this the whole time. They had no interaction. He didn't say anything. I guess they were friends. Um, but my dad's memory, and again, 
was that he was like violently throwing suitcases into the hotel or into his car to leave the hotel probably because he probably was annoyed that this hotel owner wouldn't kick this guy out because they were friends <laughs> um, <laughs> who's like um that's but yeah tale, i mean Aaron. with all the science it's quite a tale i i i honestly thought that i told it on it's this also it's a fun story before. to tell because this is not um my dad was a uh what is it a server in la and uh tom cruise tipped poorly no. or something where you're like yeah, sure. I guess there's the guy who's an asshole. No, just it a has a multi-day story. arc. This is a, a weird multi-day story about arc, how your dad yeah. ruined uh, Tom Cruise's weekend. <laughs> yeah, although in <laughs> retrospect, though, the thing that's funny is that, like, when you watch the Scientology documentaries, you realize, like, shortly after this is when he surrounded himself with nothing but protection from the outside <laughs> Are world. Are you saying your dad is thought. the reason Tom Cruise no, like, I'm not, doubled down? I'm not saying... I'm not saying that, but then you have all these moments in his life that have become famous where, like, the guy sprays him with the microphone with the water and he's like, I don't understand. You were doing a goof on me? Like, he's just become, like, so isolated from humanity that, like, you you remember that video that went around where it was, like, the guy just sprayed him with a fake microphone and he, like, wanted to hold the guy. Like, no, tell me. What was funny? I don't understand. Why would you think that was funny to spray me in the face with the water? And it's not even from a place of anger. It's just, like, pure being perplexed that someone would think that was funny to do to him. I haven't seen this video. The way you're oh, describing you it, the way you're describing it and the way you've described uh, your father's story uh, only put me on Tom Cruise's side still. <laughs> no, I know. Like, weird. this guy was an asshole, but, like, there's also, like, and then you find out, like, when he does the couch jump, like, and, pe- and his PR team, like, has this nightmare that he, like, honestly doesn't understand it. So, my point is that not that my dad made Tom Cruise um, seal himself inside this hermetic sack of people, <laughs> but it's that my dad may have been the last person to, like, say something shitty to Tom Cruise before he, like, that someone that was like, hey, you're an asshole. He pr- no one's probably called Tom Cruise an asshole to his face or even in note form. In a way that he's received it. It's not like he's finding internet comics or comments or something like that. Like, yeah. He yeah, probably yeah. has no idea but that someone could think that he's an asshole anymore. And so I'm just saying, hypothetically, uh, minus of like Nicole Kidman or Katie Holmes or his kids or whatever's going on there happened. He's probably the last one of the last people to be like, hey. Fuck you, Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, what a tale, Aaron. Thank you for sharing that with us. I, I feel like the lesson of the story is um, that celebrities, they're not like us. No, specifically, <laughs> Tom Cruise is very, he's not like anybody, <laughs> including other celebrities. Like, John Travolta's not even like him. <laughs> <laughs> even John Travolta is like, yeah, me and Fred Durst hang out. What's the big deal? Yeah, uh, yeah. John Travolta seems trapped in the cult. Tom Cruise is clearly leading it. Yeah. So the to- Tom Cruise is an interesting case because um, Tom Cruise is an interesting case because Tom Cruise has taken over uh, his own image and his own productions in such a way that. Tom Cruise is never jumping on any mercenary efforts. Uh, if Tom Cruise is working on a movie, there's always like a through line back. Like he only made American Made because Doug Lyman 
uh, worked with him. Yeah, he and has his people. He's yeah. like, these are my people. And yeah, oh, you need this? Like, happy to do it. And it um, depends entirely on your perspective of Tom Cruise, whether that's a creepy thing and that he's a control freak, or if that dude is just like living the life and he finally found a way where he could act and be a producer and control, you know, do some quality control on his movies. Um yeah, which makes you wonder what was going on with that Jack Reacher sequel. Yeah, what the that fuck was, was like, that? That was like a bad TV movie. That was probably, it was probably like, he just loved doing the character so much. Yeah, but like you're Tom Cruise, like get a better director. You yeah. can probably call, call Spiely up and be like, yo, <laughs> I think I think it's redeem time. I think, uh, uh, well, I think Spielberg doesn't answer his call anymore. I think we call him Spiely. Spiely. Spiely's doing wheelies. Right away from Tom Cruise. Um, you think but, it's because Steven Spielberg saw the Scientology documentary? <laughs> I think it's because it's because the couch gag after War of the Worlds, right? Oh, Wasn't yeah, he promoting really War of the Worlds with the couch yeah, gag? Yeah, really, really fucked him up. Yeah. I like that we call it the couch gag like it's a Simpsons thing. <laughs> well, he was doing a bit, right? He's not really insane. Although one of my favorite stories is just Paul Thomas Anderson just confirming that Tom Cruise had indeed seen The Master. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't say anything about it because obviously he was in Magnolia and like they stay in contact and all he would say is like, I can confirm I know for a fact that Tom Cruise has seen The Master and I don't want to make any more comments. (laughs) (laughs) PTA is the most fun interview because uh, he'll say something and you're like, that was really boring. And then it'll take you two seconds to sink in. You're like, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, Dude, but but Tom Cruise, again, so hermetically sealed. I'm sure he's like, huh, yeah. is, this, is this a negative betrayal? Or are you just honoring the founder or whatever they call him? Yeah. Do you? Anyways. So, uh, I mean, The Master is a, a befuddling movie for people because, like, everyone expected a Scientology takedown. And even Scientology expected a Scientology takedown. And then it was like this, like... A warm character study that happens to take place in the heart of a thriving cult. Yeah, with a L. Ron Hubbard type figure. Yeah, a guy who looks just like L. Ron Hubbard and has all the exact same character details as L. Ron Hubbard. um, Being in a vaguely homoerotic relationship with a sailor. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, not what anyone expected. Great movie, though. Uh, yeah, we 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 do have to wrap up soon because yeah, yeah we do. Not, um, so. Um, uh, what was I going to say? About Edge that? of Tomorrow is funny. <laughs> Quite That's what I've been trying to say for 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, Edge of Tomorrow is very funny. So there's a moment you referenced earlier where Tom Cruise is trying to uh, get away from Bill Paxton. Uh, like I said, he's the Ned Ryerson. Uh, mm-hmm. He's trying to get away from Bill Paxton, uh, who's making them all do uh, push-ups, and he rolls under a truck to get away from it, and he accidentally rolls too far and gets crushed by the truck, and it's a straight-up laugh. There's a moment where a character from his crew uh, is on the beach just doing full-on uh, – he's uh, it's the character Kimmel, I think is his name, um, who does uh, – he gets in his battle armor completely nude. Oh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny, and he's on the beach just like, I love this shit, and then he gets crushed by a dropship. <laughs> and it's like yeah. straight up a joke. Um, it's like a joke straight out of StarCraft. Um, yeah. And there's there's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of, uh, of joke moments in here where like Tom Cruise is like, no, I'm fine, no, I'm fine, and then Rita resets him by shooting him in the head. I also like, uh, and they have all these gags about 
because um, he was supposed to be this, like, marketing guy who they're basically taking out on the battlefield to kill. So there's also just a couple of random scenes of him being a superhero on the battlefield and everyone in the squad being like, huh, <laughs> is that that guy? I think that was the guy who just ran in a, in a full 360 degree circle, miraculously firing tons of bullets only at all the aliens and killing them and then running away. So his character arc is like the movie is only three acts, but his character arc is weirdly like a five act structure. <laughs> it's almost like a yeah. it's almost like a it's almost because it's similar to um, I don't even know if it's a five act structure, but it's similar to the. Um, the Groundhog Day thing where it's tied to the cycles of grief. Um, and because of that, there's a moment where um, he's in like almost like a, uh, a euphoric state where he's like playing the game and like he runs into the room. He like uh, basically is fucking with Bill Paxton. He runs in the room. He covers up the poker game. So Bill Paxton never finds it. Like he's yeah. trying to endear himself to the troops. He's making little jokes to kind of like take a little chunk out of uh, Bill Paxton. So they all like him. Um, and then they're all just mostly confused by him. Um and like those little moments where Tom Cruise is acting like crazy and charming at the same moment, I think is like core to what makes Tom Cruise Tom Cruise, because he is definitely supposed to be insane. But also he's someone who, by all accounts, if you spend a hour dinner with him, it grows into a three hour dinner. He'll just sit and tell stories and be sweet and funny. He'll ask you how your mom is and you see him two years later and he's like... He'll probably remember everything about you. He'll remember that your mom had a thing and that he'll ask how she's doing. Like, that's that's the Tom Cruise thing is where it's like it's half crazy and half like genuinely charming in a way that like it, it feels like he hacked human, uh, human empathy. <laughs> Yeah, and he is so good at, like, like, people always say he's a good action star, but he's he's actually a good um, a motor at action sequences. Like, in a time where, like, post late 80s and 90s, the whole thing was that, like, the action stars of those eras were unaffected. Like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger never, like, freaks out and feels desperate in order to make the next thing happen. It's always, I'm in control. At worst, there's like a couple of swear words, Stallone, all those people. And then uh, and then you kind of have like the Bruce Willis type who gets stressed, but he still has kind of a more, he's still above the action that's going on. So even though he's stressed and gets frustrated, he is kind of still sarcastic throughout. He's making his commentary. And that was like, you know, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. It was funny people um, dealing and more real and grounded people dealing with like intense situations. But none of them actually ever felt like they were actually experiencing the intensity of those sequences that would be occurring. But when you see like fucking Tom Cruise, even in the first Mission Impossible, like red light, great, like he is in those moments, in those action sequences, in a for someone who's such an unrelatable person, in an amazingly relatable way. Like, oh, he is freaking out, he is stressed out, he is panicked. Like, the reason that, like, Tom, the Tom Cruise run has become such a meme is not because it's, like, a cool guy run. It is someone in severe, 
panic or a meltdown trying to move from point A to point B as fast as fucking possible. And so it looks intense and insane, but it's because he is like, yeah, I don't have time to run like a cool dude. I need to move my body as quickly as possible because this shit is happening to me. And I, I do think that's kind of Tom Cruise's uh, genius when it comes to like his action persona is living the intensity of the moments for the audience in a way that like not that many like marquee action stars, tons of great actors do that in action movies but they're not like like will smith doesn't do it bruce willis doesn't do it. like think of all the action stars you can think of and they're never this present in those moments absolutely absolutely there's a sort of cool distance that i don't think tom cruise totally i don't think tom cruise ever operates at a cool distance no anymore. I think he's always kind of in the moment. He's willing to mug. He's willing to make little jokes. He's willing yeah. to scream and cry and like get in the in the in the scene and like that's what makes movies like Oblivion, which would is Oblivion is purely. I'm surprised we haven't done it on the show. I like Oblivion quite. A it's bit. a it's a visual showpiece. It has a cool third act twist. Um, it's it's gorgeous to look stolen at. directly from another movie, but still works. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's a it's a great uh, it's a great sort of uh, uh, sci-fi visual piece and visual reference piece, but without Tom Cruise, that movie would suck so hard. And it's the fact that yeah. Tom Cruise commits to these scenes and he makes these these scenes that would otherwise be sort of emotionally vacant, feel um, full in a way that like action stars typically can't imbue that kind of power. Um, that's Which the thing. is also like, why... like Will Smith, like yeah. Will Smith sometimes does that. Like in I Am Legend, he's doing a very similar thing to what Tom Cruise is doing in Oblivion. Um, Where but... He's, but he's, he's de- cool and de- depressed, but not like depressed in like a sad way, but in a, well, I don't, I don't need to emote because my life doesn't have interactions that emotions would be helpful in. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he's just he's operating on a different level. But, to, yeah. but Will Smith doesn't uh, doesn't give that sort of like personability in uh, in everything these days. That's what people cr- are crying out for Will Smith to do, like be charming again. And like even when he tries, sometimes it feels desperate. Yeah, it does suck. Um, and I really like. Obviously, I love fucking Bruce Willis in his best action movies and Schwarzenegger and all these people. It's just like. Tom Cruise is doing something different and not really what anyone else is doing. It's also why he's so good in other movies, too. Like, I don't want to give Tom Cruise an Academy Award because he's a monster and I don't want to award him as a person. But, like, whether you're watching fucking Magnolia or Jerry Maguire or all these things, like, he's good in these things because, like, when he's crying to Renee Zellweger and Jerry Maguire – He's a pathetic, like, person who's – like, he, he – but he doesn't shy away from it. He's like, I'm going to be incredibly vulnerable and pathetic and kind of a smug asshole. Like, he – he for a movie star of his caliber, he never keeps movie star distance from vulnerabilities no, of no, any no. sort. And that is rare. And then it helps that he's also a good actor. So, those moments never seem – comedic like 
if if Bruce Willis or Arnold Schwarzenegger like the times that Schwarzenegger really great example I know it's an extreme example the times that he is like trying to do a freak out and like a total recall or something like that uh, that's supposed to be like a human being reacting to these circumstances. It's memeable because he just can't do it. Bruce Willis never really tries. And even when he does, it's more like it's still kind of funny because he's like cry swearing at how bad things are gotten. And he's just saying his de- he's wearing his, de- his depression and sadness at this fucking situation on his sleeve. But he's still removed from it. There's just no one that imbues his character's. And lives in his characters as much as Tom Cruise at this at his level. But I'll say, and not to detract from that, because I agree with literally everything you've said so far. Um, I think one of the reasons that people say Tom Cruise is gay, which I don't actually think that's true. I think that's also kind of homophobic to just like assume that if you're going from like rumors and stuff, maybe we can have a conversation. But if you're going from the fact that like he very rarely has chemistry with his on screen uh, ladies. Um uh, and I, I feel like extrapolating from that that he's gay is kind of offensive. Um, but there is sometimes a moment when he needs to be like uh, uh, more intimate beyond a certain bounds that people don't buy it. And I'm, uh, because I mean, because of that, I great think- in Jerry Maguire. I, I think that's I think that's dumb. It's just I think people I think the offensive part about that. And I know you're not saying that is that like Tom Cruise is a fucking weirdo. Yes. And peop- and it's that kind of like, oh, he's a weirdo. Probably gay. Yes, yes. It's it's um it's I I if you're going to take Tom Cruise down, like talk about his connection with Scientology, like talk about something else. Like yeah. don't let's not like let's not pretend like you tell you saying Tom Cruise is gay is somehow a takedown yeah. of him because it's yeah. not. It says more about you than him. Yeah, it's that um, shitty like oh he's bad so that equals gay. Yeah. Um, that, and it, that, what if what if he's bi but he thinks it'll kill his career and he's living in like the the partial closet. Like fucking fucking like that's not it's like not worth it when there's so, yeah. so much other chewy stuff to talk about and one of the chewy things is that like he has like almost no on-screen chemistry with Michelle Monaghan in the Mission Impossible movies to the point where like she feels like she's like a, a vague reference in the most recent. Yeah, but ones. I like what I like what they've done in the recent ones where it's like, hey, this is a person he cares for, but like we don't need to have Tom like we don't need a romantic interest in these movies. Like it's unnecessary besides just having someone that he has a history with and wants to save. And I do think this movie's I don't even want to say it's a mistake. So I think Tasha Robinson was the person who had a really good take on it. Like there's actually not that much romantic stuff in the movie. The one kiss they have is almost like a last desperation of like expression of caring. It's not really romantic. There's nothing really else. Everything else is about friendships developing and stuff like that. That like you can read the kiss as like a – especially because it's initiated by Emily Blunt who probably wouldn't have feelings for – like if Tom Cruise had been like, look – <laughs> Over the last 15 years, I've just – I've fallen in love with you and then plants a kiss before he goes off on his death. Um, it would have been, I think, a huge fucking mistake. But instead, it's – all right. We're do- – like for Emily Blunt, it's the first day he's met- she's met this person and gives him just a quick – like almost a over like – like the kind of mob movie boss does to someone they're about to kill, you know, like a Mwah! or like you jokingly do with your kids and then runs off that I think you I actually bought. I, I remember disliking it 
uh, but when I read Robinson's um, stuff about that, I'm like, oh, yeah, like I can read it that way as I rewatch the movie. Like, no problem. So um, reading it like that works for me. But it's it's not because like, oh, Tom Cruise doesn't have romantic chemistry with Emily Blunt. Like there, it's that's not in the movie. It's not about two people falling in love at all. It is uh, about it is about him falling in love with her, though. Um, very much but, so because it has the same arc as Groundhog Day, where he goes into a depressive cycle where he can't say he re- he realizes he can't save her or he can't keep her out of the shit, and then for a couple cycles he tries to do it without her. So I don't know if that's like because American movies always go to that, or because perception of American movies are just we're used to that coding, but like. It's like I can buy it as platonic love between someone who he has built a uh, a, a relationship with that's based on life and death. Like that idea of like when when like military buddies who've been through the shit talk about like, yeah, like the love that I we have for each other is like beyond romantic or friendship love. Like there is a life and death bond that we've had and so – I can buy that being the case because – and I agree that Tom Cruise is – like, loves her. But I I can also – like, there's just nothing else that's coded as, like, romantic love besides that moment. The scene where they have in the barn where he's just caring over her and he's, like, making her tea and he's caring for her wounds and he's pulling her away from the battle is him being like, let's have – Let's have like a moment just us because like he's like, yeah. I've had I've had this. I, I You and I have been in hell nonstop. Like he's literally like the moment he wakes up from the the um, the like rucksack pile, uh, the duffel bag pile. Uh, he gets boots tossed in his hands. He meets his squad. He goes and does calisthenics. Then he goes to battle. Right. Yeah. Um, with with this, he's like. The. It's it's we need to let's take a moment together. Let's have this moment because like he's desperate for this moment. It's it's not on the same level of Groundhog Day where he's trying to manipulate uh, uh, Andy McDowell Rita into uh, having sex. It's more like he's like, hey, I really need this right now. Can you just accept that I want this cycle to end with something nice? Um, and so, like, I can buy that, like, even if it's not, like, a love to end all loves, I can buy it as a romantic mm-hmm. thing because But it's... there's – even in that scene, there's nothing romantic. Like, he, you're, I agree with everything you said. He wants a moment with this person that he's lived a lifetime with in these, like, critical and stressful situations that he's gotten to know and care about. And I get it's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Like, is it is it that we see – the romantic coding because Hollywood always inserts uh, if it's a, if it's a a, a, a a man and a woman, well, they got to fall in love. They can't just be platonic, uh, you know, like they can't be buddies that love each other. That that doesn't work. They have to. It has to be some level of like sexual love. Now, so are, are we seeing that? And did I see that before? Because Hollywood always does that. So it's there. Or am I? connecting the dots that aren't there because Hollywood always does that. Like, yeah. And like, honestly, it would be, they could have had an ending to this movie that would make it, I think like a a funny blade runner. Like, and I don't mean that in the sense that it would be, uh, 
a visual touch point that movies would steal from for years or any of that. But like the sort of cult classic that people are talking about 30 years from now, if they had, uh, they had slightly changed the ending and if they had kept their relationship platonic and if they have died, dived deeper e- either into like, um, the trauma of war or hard sci-fi or something else other than like a, um, digestible Hollywood ending. I think if they had made those two choices, um, keeping Rita and his relationship platonic and professional and uh which I I could I could make the argument that they kind of did but yeah 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 yeah. but like um in a way that no one would have a misinterpretation Um, okay and then uh the the latter like making the ending more of a divisive ending like a uh the sort of ending where people are like man the movie was pretty cool but then the ending was depressing like that would have made this a movie that i think would stick in in people's heads uh for a long time but maybe i'm fucking wrong because like i talked to like not even like people that are super into movies but people that just like see movies and um and Years later, people Unlike are like, oh, us, fucking who love experience that movie. movies. We experience cinema. <laughs> I just meet people that don't sit them. and devote hours of their life to having Skype combos with people about movies. Who does that? I'm just here to talk to my buddy in our platonic love situation. Did you understand that moment. I've been recording this for years? What? <laughs> Is that why you make me hit the triangle button on that program you sent me? Well, I make you hit the, the red circle button first, but... Oh, Peter, I've been hitting the triangle button. <laughs> Ooh. No wonder the episodes have been so good. I forgot what button you pressed to record. <laughs> must be getting late. <laughs> I, I looked at the buttons, and I go, triangle. <laughs> that would be you just that's, playing that's a previous I episode. I can see the, the, the red circle depressed. Because wait, I am recording right now. Wait, are you playing a previous episode and then responding to that? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think Trump's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> also, you're in a recursive cycle since 2016. Oh, no! You just, if I just, like, let's assume that Trump does not get reelected if my recursive cycle was was November whatever 7th 2016 to the the day before he he leaves office and I just keep living that over and over what a nightmare although I like my kids I could see them more um uh, anyways that was sweet I think we gotta wrap up yeah uh, let's uh let's let's uh do what you should have done if you didn't want children and wrap it up wrap it up so yeah so this movie like I said, I just I think they have some interesting thematic stuff, and I wish they would have done something with it. I'm, but at the flip side, like I agree, like it the whole movie works really well, and it works despite being full of a bunch of stuff that I think are bad decisions, right? Or could be construed in other movies as bad decisions. It's it's from the aliens to the military design, it's super generic. It includes so many stock characters in a way that even I think other Groundhog Day type movies don't have as many. Uh, maybe give or take a happy death day of like, oh, I'm not going to have enough time to get to know this person. So like, he's just an a, he's a Colonel Marines ripoff. Oh, uh, how the aliens work. Done in a billion movies. That is like the most popular alien trope. There's a hive mind. That's fucking Independence Day. Um, The ending decides to give the happy ending. Everything was all fine. And then despite all that, everything in the fucking movie works amazingly well because it's so funny. 
the cycle is so well done. It has so many surprises. It does get relatively emotional with these two people who have been trapped in these days just trying to save the world. Uh, it does so much stuff wrong, which is why I think audiences mistook it for a bad generic sci-fi movie that no one had time for in 2015. It looked like something that should have been released in 2005 that everyone forgot about and instead is like this amazing sci-fi action movie that's the best movie that Doug uh, Lyman has directed uh, and one of the best Tom Cruise performances of the last like 30 years. Uh, so I'm really excited for the sequel, but yeah, this was so much fun to revisit. And like I said, this is, I've probably seen this five or six times since it came out because like a lot of these Groundhog Day movies, uh, they're endlessly rewatchable to me because even if I'm not paying attention to the whole thing, I can watch like that one five minute segment. That's really good. Or I can see the bus gag, which is great. Like they're just so digestible, uh, in a way and rewatchable in a way that a lot of movies aren't. It feels like a contradiction because the you would expect a movie where you're watching the same scenes over and over again, um, which is you know, like we said, it's a it's, there's an editing technique to make this yeah. not feel <laughs> editing and uh, <laughs> shooting technique to make this not feel repetitive as fuck, um, and they uh, they established that they understood that this is a this is a, either a, a thing that makes a movie feel majestic and uh empowering to an audience or it's something that feels uh repetitive and uh crippling to an audience where you feel like you're like uh shit i'm just uh, watching the same shit over and over and again like if you, you feel defeated along with the character every single time and the movie infuses humor and a sense of um character arc uh into every stage of uh this big ass battle that's essentially the whole movie um, to make it feel like you're going from someone who's like scared of these mimics. They're hard to understand. I actually think their design is pretty cool for a movie. They're, they're kind of stereotypical for a game. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, you're, I agree. But for <laughs> they a movie, are like, they're like, oh, this is Gears of War. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or crisis, the crisis yeah. games is what it reminds yeah. me of a lot too. Um, but they uh, they feel like they're uh, they're a stereotype from a game or something. But in a movie, it's like terrifying because like you identify more with the people in the movie, and the movie can spend yeah. time actually devoting time to that. Um, and the um, the the reason that that those cycles feel so empowering to you is because uh, the movie is so well executed and so performed uh, by Tom Cruise and by their editor and their director and their screenwriter, so that we reach a point where we transcend above the action. Actually, we're thinking about the action in a four D kind of way, in a way that like separates this movie from other big budget action movies of its ilk. And I'm going to say something risable, but I was watching the new Avengers movie and they just kept flowing in new heroes at the end to fight the battle. Oh, that's so good. And I, I felt and I, weirdly like empty. It. In a way yeah, that, like... I don't think it's related to the movie, though, Peter. Uh, oh, yeah, but <laughs> I <laughs> I felt weirdly empty uh, in a deeper way, like oh, double okay. empty. Um, it was like if I was a cow and my, like, third stomach was empty, not just the first two, you know? Oh, okay, got it. Um, I felt weirdly empty 
uh, in a way that like probably no one can relate to, <laughs> but because, <laughs> uh, because to me it felt like, okay, so I'm about to watch a big battle. What are the stakes here? What am I connected to? Um, if you shrink it down to something like Edge of Tomorrow, I know I want these five people to live and then the two main characters. I want I want the squad to make it through this battle. I want these two characters to make it through this battle. Even after watching everyone die over and over again, it still had an impact to me in a way that like yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think that like no other conceptual idea can really get at. Um, yeah. I've seen how bad it is and how bad it feels to see these guys go down. And like, I want you don't to see I, them. You don't want that to be their end state. Yeah. I don't want that to be uh, just, I don't want it to be like um, Marvin from Pulp Fiction uh, in the yeah. back of the car with his brains blown out everywhere. Like that shouldn't be the end. Right. Yeah, and unlike in Avengers, where as people you were like, I want him to die, I want him to die. Oh, that's a de- that's a death for that person. Her death. Where in this one, you're like, I don't want any of these people to die, uh, and it take you it took you less longer to count them and determine what you wanted their fate to be. Yeah, I have. Um, I only have like twelve brain cells, so if there's more than twelve characters in the movie, no, you want no them good. all to die. No if you good. could kill out all but twelve in all movies, <laughs> um, you know what's pretty cool. Um, uh, this movie killed Jeremy Piven before he was even in it. Uh, uh, that is pretty cool. He shot scenes for this movie. He's supposed to be in the battle scenes. My guess is comic relief or something. And they just edited every <laughs> last hey, scene. Hey, of hey Jeremy something Piven racist! Out. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say something racist quick. And homophobic? Maybe in this. Maybe in this cycle, I say something racist and homophobic. Maybe. Um. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for joining us. Next week, uh, yeah, sorry about that mishap. I don't know if you guys heard our feed. Uh, we're supposed to put the ending to uh, Groundhog's Day, our final thoughts on it. Um, it seems like there was some sort of uh, mis- misstep. So next week, we'll have our final thoughts on Groundhog Day. And then also the movie Triangle, which is definitely the entry this month that uh, pivots a little bit away from just the repeating the cycle over and over, but still has elements of uh, a repeated cycle a la Groundhog Day. And I'm very excited to talk about it because that was like a true discovery uh, to me when I think you recommended it and a couple other people a couple years ago. Uh, when I was like, oh my god, this is good. More people should know about this movie. Uh, it is on Amazon Prime. So if you want to watch it before we release our episode next week, you should check it out. And that's with guest, uh, former best friend of Peter before he met me, Ryan Boland. Uh, yes, we're going to have Ryan Boland back on the show. Uh, finally decided to send him a microphone. <laughs> Great. So he doesn't just have to be in your presence to record because he is a wonderful guest and a wonderful person. So, Peter, until next week. Um, Find me when you wake up. We've been on the run, driving in the sun, looking out for number one. California, here we come, right back where we started from. Well, hustlers, grab your guns, your shadow weighs a ton, driving down the 101. California, here we come Right back where we started from California California
thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) 